Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to talk about investing in yourself beyond education. The genesis of this episode, we were talking about Isaac and I recently attended a conference together, which is a mm-hmm. great way to see your friends who live far away from you. Also, you might learn something. <laughs> True. Uh, so traditional you know, learning is you go, you get, le- you get taught at school, and then you could take a course on something, and lots of people are there selling you courses online, or you could read a book. But what if what you want to learn or the things you need to learn aren't in a book or that's not how you enjoy learning. So what, what can you do to improve yourself or invest in yourself? Really? It's not about improving yourself. I don't like that term investing in yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about this too, because back in like our first few episodes, we had discussed the difference between learning in an academic setting and then using that knowledge for programming. And then going out in the real world and then realizing, oh, I never had a class on like how to refactor someone's old code or clean up an old database or something like that. Because that's what you you really rewrite it from scratch, right? That's what you do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Antithetical to everything we've said. (laughs) Well, that's coming out of school. You might think that that was a valid. (laughs) It's like, oh, I've learned in school how to do this. And this is this is terrible. They didn't they didn't go to school and they don't know what they're doing. So I'm just going to rewrite courses. Right. All the courses they give you are basically like a homework assignment and maybe they've changed things since I've been in school, uh, but it's usually a homework assignment. And it's like, here's a problem and here's, you, you should solve it from, from scratch. You know, it's never, here's the existing code. How do, how do you make it work with that thing? At least, at least where, you know, in my educational background. So I'm hoping that other colleges or universities are doing this now, but either way. Um, so it got me thinking about examples. I was saying like when I went into the real world to my first startup, to the next startup and the next one, I learned so much more just being like on the ground, learning from people, hearing from customers, like understanding pain points, um, understanding a lot of the why. So we're taught to program in school, but not like why, like who are we programming for? Mm. Like in school, it's just like, oh, uh, do it to, to pass for the teacher. I'm trying to pass this course. And so you actually kind of change your behaviors to make it look as good as what you think the teacher would, would care about. Which you should. Which you should. Um, I I guess they're almost the customer in that way. The teacher is the customer and (laughs) uh, a different way of saying it is when you're in school and you get the assignment from the person who's in charge of you, which is the teacher, Mm -hmm. then the assignment is correct. Like right. The teacher tells you to do something, and if you do it, then you will succeed. And in the real world, most of the time when you get a programming assignment, if you do exactly what they tell you, it is going to be wrong. Right. That's very interesting. There's, that's, that is a big difference because we're almost taught to, to act kind of like the computer does. Like, like when we get the acceptance criteria, right? That's our list of things, and we have to check off everything. And you could deliver that perfectly. But if the product person didn't coalesce a problem from the customer into a story in the right way, and you got the wrong instructions, then you've delivered exactly what the story said, but not really actually solved the problem because there's mm-hmm. all these stuff different pieces. You, you don't ask yourself, what if the what if my professor asked me for the wrong assignment? What if they made a mistake in the assignment? What if they didn't know what they were talking about? 
right? Those Many are of my professors you run into in the real world. Probably most of my professors <laughs> didn't know what they were talking about, but well, I mean, it like, was their assignment, so it was exactly. automatically the correct assignment. Right, right. So, but that, that's very different in the real world. So, so some things that I was thinking when I was thinking about how to improve myself in my programming skills, or just as an engineer, not necessarily just programming skills, but just skills in general. What are some ways I can improve that that aren't just kind of like these artificial? You do this because everyone in the academic world does this, or this will make you better because of some other criteria that someone set up about like what engineers should or shouldn't be. I was thinking, what are some practical things that I've done that actually have helped me learn some things? Lay it on me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a, the first one, and I think the biggest one uh, is making friends. I feel like uh, this is kind of a silly one to say um, because it sounds so like lovey dovey. Uh, comparatively but just like in college if you made really good friends with people in your class they might share notes with you later if you missed a day which is mm -hmm. super valuable and you can learn or uh decide to oh let's work on that programming assignment together or essentially your first pairing before you go to a company um actually making friends in it is going to be really helpful um, because at some point you're going to get stuck on something and need help and you need to learn how to ask for help uh, a lot of people don't learn how to ask for help there's this you know there's this um myth in industry that these rock star developers that can do everything by themselves work in isolation and deliver the perfect thing uh, and that's just not useful it's not actually a real thing because even if somebody were to do that they'll probably miss all the problem points ignore the customer pain points and it's not how the rock stars actually work like we Tell me more about that comment. <laughs> I've read some research papers about how the 10x rock star developers actually work. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they are working closely with teams. So they're doing a lot of glue work so that they are very good at getting the, like I have this con, like I have a concept. I know exactly how it should be written and they are very good at breaking it down, delegating it out to the rest of the teams and then doing the the little bits of glue work that are really hard that only they can do and then delegating out the rest or and or what they do is they remain extremely tightly focused so they don't build the whole thing they build what we'd call like a proof of concept the core of the the, the core nugget and they do it very quickly and again they're not working in isolation and building this entire mm -hmm. thing it's, they're doing a very little bit, but they're doing precisely what's needed. Yeah. And that's how you be, it's not that they're doing 10x more, it's that they are wasting 90% less. <laughs> that's a good way to phrase it. So I, I think most of the, uh, what I would consider the the high, the rock star engineers, so to speak, uh, most of them, like I've met some that are actually rock stars that I would define as rock stars because I feel like they, actually were good engineers and they were good at teaching you and helping you understand what you needed to do and helping you learn. But on the flip side, I feel like we've pushed in the industry, this idea of this perfect engineer that has to be good at everything. And it kind of uh, synergizes in a very dark, evil way with other people with large egos who take that and go, I am the best there is. I'm just going to build this entire microservice by myself. Uh, just, you know, no code review. 
he doesn't need COVID view. I'm the greatest. You know, I've met a lot of people more like that, that end up winning those interviews and getting hired at the company because they're really, really good at programming, but they're really bad at working on a team. Yeah, I'd argue they're not actually good at programming, but that's... Ah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I think you have to make friends. I think you have to... Uh, like if, if you delegate something to somebody and they hate you <laughs> because you have zero interpersonal skills, I don't know how effective that delegation will be. Um, I'm just thinking so, about the biggest rock stars that I know and have worked with in my career. Mm -hmm. And all of them, I don't know if they all had good interpersonal skills, but they were all friendly. You know, they, they didn't rage at people. <laughs> they may or may not have thought that they had the best code, but they were always happy to talk about it. Yes, that's true. Uh, and they all knew that they couldn't go it alone. I, I would disagree. Um, in, in my experience. No, no, I, I'm talking part. my experience. <laughs> oh, and I, so, see, I see, I <laughs> see. And I'm talking about the people who were really great because yeah. I've worked with some people who created very profitable products mm -hmm. despite themselves. Like they... Were not they were okay programmers, but they had the ego yeah. and they couldn't explain it. And they were able to create a product that was very successful up to a point, and then it stalled out. You know, mm -hmm. you could create a million dollar product by yourself. It gets harder all the time, but you know, like you know, in the early days of app development, you could create a million dollar app and make yeah. millions of dollars by yourself. Those days are gone. <laughs> Same thing with computer games in the you know early '90s. You could do it by yourself. Those days are gone. And so Mostly. the yeah, occasionally it happens. Like it, it's you know somebody out there is going to be the next Tiger Woods, but it's not going to be you. It's not going to be you, <laughs> dear <laughs> <And> listener. <laughs> dear listener. Well, I'll say it a different. Way. You know, we were talking about basketball before the episode started. There's a lot more professional basketball players than there are professional golfers. There's, there's a lot more room on team sports than there are at single person sports. Makes sense. <laughs> so back to the first point, yes. uh, making friends. So there's been plenty of times where I have been stuck on something like, like you, you probably have done like a tutorial on, on the internet before, like a software engineering mm -hmm. tutorial. And it's old and you run into a couple things and it's an unfamiliar language and you're like, oh, I can't, it's bugging me about some missing Python dependency or this Docker file is not working out of the box and there's something goofy here and I'm not familiar with Docker, that kind of thing. Uh, and then you spend a long time on Stack Overflow or Googling around trying to figure out that one thing that will help you progress to the next step in the tutorial. Uh, you can spend a lot of time on that. And when I started learning how to ask for help, and at a larger friend group of people who work on these things, I go, oh, I have a really good Python expert friend. I, if I could just uh, send them a text, can I bug you for like five minutes? I think it's something really stupid and simple that's gonna unblock me from this thing I'm trying to teach myself. Mm -hmm. And they're generally going, oh yeah, I can hop on. Same thing with the Docker, uh, the Docker file config, got a Docker friend who loves Docker. <laughs> so same God thing. bless him. Uh, he's great. <laughs> uh, either way. So, and I have spent many hours doing something and getting really frustrated trying to do it myself, but then like actually taking a step back and going, oh, I 
I could really benefit from just asking for help for a second in a targeted way where it's not like I'm asking on Stack Overflow and getting downvoted because that answers the question's already been asked somewhere, that kind of thing. Just mm -hmm. ask a friend. So growing that friend network is super valuable. Making friends at your first company, very valuable because you can pair with those people. You can ask them for advice. They can come back and ask you for advice. If you make friends with somebody who's exceptional, even better because you can learn from them every day by just asking to pair with them. Um, so the first one uh, is the simplest slash hardest one is uh, just go out of your way whenever you start at a company somewhere or if you're already at a company and you're trying to grow uh, your own career, just uh, look around, uh, find some people that are interesting or fun, uh, that have learned, uh, they, they have learned some stuff that you don't know yet. Or, or in, even if you just want to, if, if there's like three other engineers at the company, at least just meet the other engineers. Oh, uh, yeah, especially at small companies where you mm -hmm. could actually know everyone by name. Yeah, if there's 20 or developers or fewer, you should definitely make the effort to introduce yourself or at least learn all their names. I have one. Uh, Go ahead. So this doesn't always apply, but if your company is interviewing, volunteer to be on interviews. Mm. This this is more about investing in yourself than it's it's growing and it's investing in yourself and it's being useful while doing it. It is extremely illuminating when you talk to an engineer, a good one, a rock. When you stumble into an interview with a rock star engineer, who can explain what they've done, they can generalize it, they can synthesize it, they can explain it to you at your level. It's breathtaking. And when you go into an interview and you talk to, there's the joke that, you know, some engineers have 10 years experience and some year, some engineers have one year experience 10 times. Oof. <laughs> when you talk to, go walk into an interview and you talk to somebody who's got 10 years of one year experience, you can tell. And one, it'll help work, you work with empathy because those are brutal interviews. Two, you can see how they can't talk about what they've done. And yeah. that that's a sign you, you can run this through in your head. Like, can you explain what they've done? And if you, you know, if they can't explain it, can you work with them to tease it out of them? Do, can you figure out what they have done from that? And these are hard skills and these are useful skills. And if your company is interviewing, that's a great way, like it's a great way to do it. It's, it's a great way to have a conversation, a forced conversation with a developer you don't know about what they've done and that you can try to understand. Yeah. And if you can't understand, then you should vote against them for being hired. And if you do understand and you're like, oh my God, this person is amazing. Well then, hey, you just met a rock star. <laughs> Future person to work with. <laughs> yes. Uh, That's a good one. Yeah. The flip side of that is less, it, it's not a, I'm going to say, don't do this. People do it and it gets a lot of recommendations online. I'm going to say, don't be as mercenary as I'm going to explain it. Uh, okay. But the flip side is if you want to get better at it and you're bad at it, right? You, you, you've talked to somebody and they came off as a, somebody with one year experience 10 times and they can't explain anything and you don't know how good you are. Go sit and you don't go sit down for an interview. Go take an interview at some company that you have no intention of taking 
uh, and work on your interview skills. And that's cruddy because interviewing people is expensive. And so yeah. taking an interview that you absolutely have no intention of going for, you're not interested, it's you're wasting a lot of their money and that's kind of shitty. So I wouldn't recommend it. But if you're in the run-up, like if, if you have decided that you are going to get a new job, I do advocate getting some warm-up interviews at companies you don't think you want to work for, but you're not like, oh, absolutely, hell no. Take some interview, because you. I know every time I have switched jobs and I interviewed, which hopefully those days are behind me, I blew the first interview. Yeah. The guy was rusty, and I did a bad job, and I just blew it. <laughs> yeah, I think regardless of how you find your way into an interview, whether it's, you know doing an interview with somebody that you don't intend to work for or, or not um, doing interviews in general uh, is a great way to basically stay in shape for the next layoff, right. essentially um, practicing on that. Like for me, I really enjoy like practicing those interviewing skills. Uh, and you can also see what kind of hiring practices like those companies have, because some still do like the fizz buzz stuff or some ask you really, interesting academic questions that have nothing to do with their day-to-day -day. and some actually will ask you questions that are really illuminating to, to like the stuff they're actually working on they'll actually ask you pointed questions that seem reasonable to their work and that can kind of help guide what kind of uh, not just your interview and kind of help you understand like what they're looking for but also understand what you're going to be working on or what kind of company they are to be asking you those questions because uh, some questions some companies who do like these canned questions and look for a canned response answers from like leak code or some random how to ace the programming interview books. Uh, what kind of company are they actually going to be if they hire you, <laughs> if that gets you through, right? Right. <laughs> but if they ask you questions like, Hey, here's an abstract concept of you got a slow web page. How do you speed it up? Go. And you go, Oh, and they can kind of like dig and tease out of your experience of like ways you've sped things up before. They yeah. can really get a good abstract feeling. And then you can kind of like go back and go, Huh, they ask more questions that are very uh, seem relevant. Maybe they do more interesting things at that company. I know early on in my career, uh, and I would interview, and I would go to these interviews, and I worked for a very successful but very idiosyncratic company. And so I learned to do it their way, which happened to be best practices. But mm -hmm. They didn't explain it to me in those terms. So it's just like, well, this is what we did. And I could explain what we did, but I didn't know the, the words for it. And so I would go to interviews yeah, yeah. and I would get absolutely destroyed. And, but I would take notes and I would write it down and then I would go and look yeah, yeah. up all the stuff. And so after about six weeks, then I could talk to all the things. It's like, oh, well, of course we were doing a microservice architecture. I didn't know what a microservice was when I walked in the door six weeks ago, but I'd been oh, writing man. microservices. That has gotten me many times. Uh, early in my career, when someone asked me about dependency injection, I was like, I don't know what that is. But I did. I have been doing that. <laughs> I just, I'd never heard it called that. So, like, some jargon out there is not uh, you know, ubiquitous uh, across the industry, yeah. or especially for early people uh, getting into the industry trying to learn something. There's a lot, plenty of terms out there that you know, if you could just see someone's code or have someone talk to the problem, they might be describing exactly what you're what you're describing is like they, they actually live and breathe that. Mm -hmm. Maybe they call it something different. 
dependency injection is something that, you know, I, I definitely should have known that term by that time, I think. But either way, I was still doing it. But that, the, the, the jargon is definitely a, a list of gotchas. Okay, so we have make friends, mm -hmm. do interviews, both sides of the table. Mm -hmm. How about a third thing that our listeners can do? Let's live with a third thing and then before we wrap, what's what's another thing that people can do that beyond formal education that can help invest in their career? Uh, I would say, and I'm kind of biased towards this one, uh, is is don't necessarily, I guess the answer is not necessarily reading by itself, but uh, my, my response is going to be starting a book club at your company. Hmm. Um, so that is, again, like reading is not necessarily the answer because you don't want to read in isolation. You want to read with other people because sometimes there are some books that are like really famous in the industry that are not super applicable anymore because some of those lessons have been digested by people over the last 10 years that everyone knows them and does them as standard now. Um, the Phoenix Project is one example of those books that I read recently where I was like, everyone does this. Why is this, why is this a revolutionary book? But I guess back in the day when it was published, it was, right, 10, it was revolutionary. Ago. Right. So you need to find books that are also like, you're going to teach you new things from there. But also you can talk with other people on how to apply those things. So you're not just learning a chapter because it's a chapter and you're trying to get through the book because otherwise you'll forget that chapter. If you have a book club and you read that chapter in front of everybody, then you go, Oh, we're doing a really similar pattern in this thing over here. And that looks like that might lead to a painting ourselves into a corner situation. How about we, you know, reflect on that whenever we make MRs against that code base, or there's this chapter in clean code about commenting and we tend to have trash comments. So let's go through and clean those up, <laughs> you know, find ways you can read that chapter and apply it. Um, and uh, it's, it's really useful too. Cause like, if you have somebody, I like to recently I've been kind of stuck as being the person leading it uh, every chapter, but I like trying to cycle mm -hmm. the chapters and have a different person lead each chapter. Uh, Cause then some people will pick chapters that they really relate to. Like if it's one on unit testing, I love talking about unit testing. So I want that chapter, but if it's one about, uh, I don't know, some other thing, <laughs> someone else could pick that one and we can just kind of like cycle it. Um, yeah. It's also, I'll throw out there, you don't always need to have technical books. Uh, you True. can also yeah. have books about the industry you're working in. Um, now that I've said it out loud, I'm going to have to go and look because I think I should lead a book club on marketing principles. There you go. I should find one and we should have a discussion about that because I am certain that I'm not an expert or even, yeah. I, I'm certain I don't even know all the words for the right, technology, right. for the thing, for the concepts that the professionals use. The professionals who use our tools will use these terms and I don't know them. And that's bad. Well, see, the good thing about doing the book club too and having like, if we if we read a really famous book, again, take clean code. Mm -hmm. If we read it and then we go, oh, I should just know this is the truth and not question it. <laughs> well, I guess someone- On that book, book yes, say, you should, but- <laughs> well, Somewhere in the book, actually, he says, you know, these are just a bunch of practices I've collected over the years. You know, they may not be the answer in every situation. And there are some, definitely some Java examples in there that are super dated. But regardless, when you read it out loud and someone else goes, wait, I don't understand that. And you go back and you reflect on it, then you can kind of like dissect, is this even useful? Because some of it might still be, because a lot of the, those lessons hold, you know, they stay true over decades. And some of them, you might go, oh, well, 
that makes sense there. But actually, in our situation, I think we should do this. And it might be the case that you actually have an exception, right? There's always exceptions in programming. You know, it's like, that's like the, the one rule, right? Mm-hmm. But either way, going through and reading all this stuff out loud uh, and having people ask questions about it and make you reflect on something you took uh, as truth, because you you never, even, even for the most famous books, don't just accept it, question it. Like yes. Even if it's like a, a perfect rule, the rule of thumb, you should always, don't repeat yourself. Was well, there a, a case where maybe we should repeat ourselves until we have more patterns mm-hmm. that show it's actually true repeating? Maybe. Who knows? Question it. And you can't really do that by yourself because you're just reading someone. If, if, you, if, you have, if you're reading a book by yourself, it's the author telling you what to think. And, there, and you might reflect on it and push back, but having a discussion on it is super fruitful. Right. Well, you're mostly going to reflect on it and push back within the context of your lived experience. And if you have a book club, you get everyone's lived experience. And so every, you know, yes. everyone who has, oh, I've encountered this edge case where this piece of knowledge is wrong or, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't apply here. You know, yeah. having a book club means you surface all those. And so it becomes much, much more valuable. Yeah. And another, another reason the book club itself is valuable is that by myself, it's almost like going to the gym. If I don't have somebody to, to keep me accountable, I will probably not read. Uh, if I don't have my, my friend that I go to the gym with here, if he's not if he if he's not there that day, I can easily talk myself into eh, maybe I'll just skip today because he's not going to be here. It's it's really easy to do, at least for me. So knowing there's a book club and we have it biweekly at my current company, knowing it's going to be there, I'm like I got to read the next chapter because I'm going to be presenting on it, you know. And we'll, sometimes we'll even do like live readings of the chapter if it's a short chapter. That way you can still get people there who weren't able to read yet, that kind of thing. But it, it kind of holds you accountable. You're going to learn a chapter by chapter and you can keep it really simple and short. It, it keeps you learning. And again, if you keep it just by yourself reading, you're going to take the academic mindset and you're going to apply it that way. If you read it in front of other people, especially other people who have been engineers for 10 years and they go, hmm, that's what the book says, but in my lived experience, every startup I've been at does it differently. That's also really valuable experience. It's like really good to like pull that, that those experiences out of people and get people talking. Yeah, I mean, developing at established companies and developing at startups is wildly different because it's oh, startups, sure. right? It's, you have to worry about whether the company will be around if you take a long time. But yeah. there is definitely, the clock is ticking. And even yeah, that's the, we could have a whole episode on yeah. that. For like, just the concept of like understanding, you have to betray your academic learnings if your company signs off on the risk of doing something poorly, <laughs> and that being okay if your customer's happy with it is like a yeah. weird lesson to learn. Okay, so we've got three. We're leaving the listener with three things today. There, one, make friends and at your company so that you can ask for help, uh, and just learn so much easier Two, volunteer to do interviews. It's a great way to talk to other engineers. It's a great way to understand what other people are thinking and doing and to see if you understand what you're thinking and doing. Uh, and then three, start a book club. Uh, you know, it's a great way to one, learn about the, your skill and craft or your industry. Uh, but it's also a great way to learn about other people's lived experiences. Again, great way to make friends and, yeah, it's just a good all around. I noticed that all three of these tips that we're talking about are about 
being social and having conversations with other people. Yeah, uh, that wasn't wasn't actually intentional. <laughs> no, it was but not. I think, I think I think that says something, um, because I mean, your career is social, right? You're in mm -hmm. programming is social. If you're if you're actually solving the right problems, it's got to be social because you're you're building something for someone, and you need to understand what the problem is. Uh, and interviewing itself is social. Understanding where they're coming from, what kind of things they can provide to you. Well, a career is social. Yeah. You know, if you live out in the woods and, you know, live off the land, then you don't really have a career. It's that's just what you do. Even if you're if, even if you're in the mountains in Colorado and you remote in to work every day, you still got to be social with people if you want to get ahead. Right. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite.